Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or get two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Anglican ordinands studying in the UK, Ireland or the Diocese in Europe are eligible for a free subscription while they study. Apply at churchtimes.co.uk forward slash ordinands. It's great to welcome back to the podcast Andrew Greystone. We spoke last year about his book Too Much Information, 10 Essential Questions for Digital Christians. Andrew has another book out, Faith, Hope and Mischief, Tiny Acts of Rebellion, published by Canterbury Press. It's available to buy from the Church Times bookshop for £10.39 and there's an extract in our 21st of August issue. Andrew, welcome back to the Church Times podcast. Thanks so much, Ed. Lovely to be here. So you describe yourself in the book as an everyday activist. Um, Can you just say a bit about what you mean by that? Yeah, I'll try to. Um, It's a a phrase that's kind of uh, become important to me recently. Um, I guess what I mean is that um, I think the world is grotty and I want to change it. Um, Now, I've probably got that in common with, with everybody and it feels particularly grotty just now, but I'm really conscious that if you want to change the world, you need to have either um, enormous kind of brain power or enormous political clout or enormous amounts of money. Um, Stephen Hawking had enormous brain power and I'm not Stephen Hawking. Greta Thunberg's got enormous political clout and I'm not Greta Thunberg. Bill Gates has got enormous amounts of money and I'm not Bill Gates. But that the, the thing that's important to me is that that doesn't mean that I can't do anything. What I can do is what I've called tiny acts of rebellion, which is kind of little things along the way that make a difference. Um, Saying no to the way the world is and yes to a different way. And in the book, I wanted to kind of explore that a little bit out of my own experience. So the book is actually a book of stories. They're all about 20 stories there. They're all true stories. They're all things that have happened to me, uh, different points in my life where some kind of action however small seems to have made a difference and i hope people can identify with that i hope this is a kind of book in a way that that anybody who who reads it could could actually write their own version of it because everybody can look through their life and think about the things that they did that have made a difference when they could have just done nothing at all so that's that's what it is. It's a it's a friendly book. It's a book of stories. Um, lots of the stories I have to say don't reflect too well on me, um, <laughs> because I think one of the qualities of everyday activism is you don't always get it right. Sometimes you do the thing and it goes wrong. I do want to emphasise that many of the things that have happened to me that have brought me to these points have actually been things that that made me look a bit daft, and that's all right too. But uh, I hope people enjoy having a laugh at my expense sometimes as, as well. You write towards the start of the book um, about the jobs people do and how sometimes people speak of a vocation um, and that the idea that they're, the, the, the job they do should somehow be changing the world in a way. But you're a bit wary of this, are you? Yes, I think I was, um, I was brought up. My, my, my school, if, any, if nothing else, taught me that um, the job that you do is key way in which you impact the world and for some people that'll be true and if 
you can find a job that allows you to do a the things you love and b the things that you think you're called to to change the world well that's great but actually an awful lot of people aren't able to do that they do the job that will get to it the the week or the things that that become available and and so i think we can overrate the idea that a vocation is the same as a as a job having said that whatever job you're in or not in whatever opportunities life gives you um you have the opportunity to, to do the things that make a, a a difference within that context you know i used to work in um uh, in the media in the BB, at the bbc and um a lot of people i remember would say to me oh that's a great that's a really influential job you can you can really change things and um that's a bit of a misunderstanding on two counts really one is um if you work in the media you can the things you can do are very very small you can just do them to an awful lot of people but the second thing the main thing i used to say to people was well, I, I i still think that even if you're in a job that's got a lot of influence apparently what's the most important is the relationship that you have with the person on the desk next to you or the person that you meet on the bus on the way into work and the way that you treat them. And those things uh, are things that we're all engaged with. And they're the things that, that make a difference where you can get hold of life and say, I'm gonna do this in a de deliberate and an, uh, a chosen and an, an active way. Um, sometimes everyday activism is, is as simple as finding the good things that are going on and um, nurturing them or even just finding the good things that are going on and noticing them is is a good starting point do you think sometimes in, in the church particularly um in, in some circles there's a there's sort of a lot of talk of the expectations can be quite high saying yeah, we're going to change a nation or change a city and do you think sometimes for, for individual christians that can seem a bit overwhelming and you're you're pointing to something a bit more everyday and concrete yeah, I think the church is quite often a bit, a bit. Oh dear, whisper it quietly. A little bit self-obsessed um, with it, its own importance. Um, and one of the gifts that working in the media gave me was to be able to stand outside a little bit and, and look at the church from the way that most people um, perhaps see it. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day who was saying uh, that she'd been to a hairdresser, and the hairdresser had said to her, uh, "Oh, what are you going to do?" now where, where are you going on to in a hairdressery sort of way and and she'd said oh i'm going to meet my bishop and the hairdresser said what's a bishop and i think we need to hear those kind of things that, that actually i don't think i think even if you look at the gospel of jesus it's not necessarily about the church uh, changing the world through its power but sometimes changing it changing the world through its rejection of power through uh turning down the uh, the things that would give us influence uh, and instead going to the places and the corners where where the tiny things happen. I was struck by what you wrote about, um, you said, I've tried to cultivate an attitude of seriousness in life, but also of nonsense. You talk about how laughter is one of the sharpest tools in the everyday activist toolkit. Just give us some examples of that. Yeah, I mean, lots of the best things that have happened to me in, in, in life have happened um, not only quite by accident, but have happened through a kind of utter foolishness. Um, I mean, there's one little story in the book, for instance, about the, the time when I moved into a, uh, a new house in a, in a bit of a posh area, actually, a bit, a bit 
more upmarket than we were used to, so we were very keen to make a good impression on the neighbours. Um, and on the day that we moved in, we're moving boxes in and out the front door and trying to keep the dog indoors. And at one point, accidentally, the dog seems to have slipped out. And then I heard a, a, a scratching on the door. Um, I opened the door and it was the dog with a dead rabbit in its mouth. And this blinking dog on the first day we were there, when we were trying to make an impression, had gone in and killed the neighbour's rabbit. And at that point, I had to decide, you know, what do you do? I thought about just packing all the boxes back into the removal van and, and, and leaving without affording a dress. <laughs> but in the end, we decided that I had to go around. I actually had to knock on the neighbour's door and say, um, hello, um, I'm, I'm your new neighbour. And this um, this in the box, this this is your uh, rabbit. Um, now, actually, out of that, that's not very funny, is it? You asked for something funny. Um, but it's uh, a, yeah, darkly but funny. Out of that, yes, it's a bit dark, isn't it? But out of that came uh, a relationship uh, with uh, with the neighbours that I don't think could have come about any other way. And there are lots and lots of stories like that. That's about the story of the time when I accidentally stole a car. Um, just trying to be helpful. Um, <laughs> a time when I accidentally um, lent my house to a burglar. Um, well, I went away on holiday, and, and lots of those things have, have, have happened. But out of those things, this time when we uh, got together as a as a community and um, borrowed our whole library uh, all on one day, um, lots of those things that have happened are they're joyous, they're they're funny, um, they're full of accident, but they are the things that I think have. Uh, I hope they're full of um, wit and a bit of wisdom for days like this when, when hope is quite hard to come by. I, I'm keen to offer a bit of cheer and a bit of inspiration for anyone who feels powerless to make a difference. Sure. It, it certainly comes across that you you have a lot of fun doing it as, as well as having a serious purpose, is it? Yeah, I think joy is fantastically important. As I say, we often take ourselves... Um, too seriously uh, but then I look in the mirror and then I can't take myself too too seriously but um, every activism is about little acts of resistance it's about lighting candles in dark rooms encouraging people who who've lost hope um, touching people who feel that they're untouchable uh, and I suppose it's about believing that despite evidence to the contrary the world's story is going to end well, that's why I call it faith, hope and mischief. Faith is not the opposite of, of doubt. Doubt and faith play for the same team. Faith uh, is the opposite of cynicism. Now, cynicism is something we, I, I really don't want to, to have. Faith is about believing that, that there is a bigger picture to all of this. Hope is about believing that whatever it looks like uh, just now, um, things are going to end well. Hope is not the opposite of pessimism. Pessimism is sometimes quite realistic, but hope is the opposite of giving up. Uh, and mischief is just the way that I have found to approach life and and Christian life too, I think, with a sense of um, joy and a bit of cheekiness and doing things that my mum would have told me off for. The book um, also tells the story um, of when you stood outside your local mosque after the tragedy in 
in Christchurch, the mass shooting at a mosque in Christchurch, New Zealand. And I think, um, I mean, that became a sort of international story and I mean, went completely viral. Um, but could you talk a little bit about it? I mean, that wasn't your intention at the outset, was it? It was. It was... Oh no, absolutely <laughs> not. It was a. You know, it's just. I woke up one morning on in in I think it was March 2019, and there's this awful news from New Zealand about the man who had gone into two mosques and killed uh, 51 people and injured 49 others. And I just found myself thinking, you know, if that can happen in Christchurch, it could happen anywhere. I wonder how my you know, friends at my local mosque here in Manchester would be feeling this morning. And I got to the middle of the morning and, and just thought, well, I could go and I could go and stand with them. I could go and say hello um, uh, or, or, or smile. And then I thought, oh, God, this is going to be, look a bit stupid if I just go and stand outside a mosque and smile. So I grabbed a piece of cardboard. It was an old file hanger, actually. And I wrote a message on it saying, you are my friends I will watch while you pray. And then I read it back to myself and thought that watching while someone else prayed felt a bit creepy. So I, I stuck a bit of paper over that and, and wrote, you are my friends, I will keep watch while you pray. And I went and stood outside the mosque for perhaps an hour and a half. And um, when the, the worshippers came out of the mosque, people had had it explained to them by the imam in the, his sermon what I was doing or what he thought I was doing and they were just there was just a wonderful time of uh, salam of um, friendship overcoming fear and uh, in the middle of that as you probably know someone that I didn't know took my photograph and uploaded it onto the internet and by the end of the afternoon it had gone completely bonkers it had gone literally all around the world um, this this photograph of me in a flat hat with a file hanger, um, it was totally disproportionate and unexpected. You know, if I'd known that morning that I was going to have my picture all around the world, I'd have, I'd have brushed my hair or something. Um, but it seemed to strike some sort of chord. Um, uh, an ordinary looking bloke in a flat hat with a bit of a message of friendship seemed to have seemed to have chimed with something that people wanted for their world so i mean it was a bizarre thing i found myself being on you know in school assemblies and sermons and radio phone-ins and being discussed on loose women and um i, I just had to think all right well we'll roll with this and see what where it takes us but what it taught me was one thing it taught me was that doing something very tiny rather than doing nothing can have an enormous impact. I guess I could have stayed at home that lunchtime. Something motivated me to pick up and go out and there was an enormous response. I went, I don't know about viral, but certainly fungal. Um, and there, there you go, that was a big, a big response. I think you, you talk in the book, this shows you the extraordinary power of symbol in everyday activism. Mm. Yes, yes, because of course, what people were retweeting then wasn't um, wasn't me. There's nothing to do with me. Um, it was just an image that seemed to have a real symbolic value. Now, I um, I've done a certain amount in my time in in relation to communications in the church and the communication of the gospel. And I, I think it, it's. Um, it's a real shame at the moment that we undervalue what symbolism means um, 
in the communication of the gospel. Um, church is big on symbol internally, on signs and symbols and, and, and rituals and so on, but the things that we show to the world, the symbols we show to the world, are often not as, as powerful as we think. We, we, we focus quite a lot on words. We make, you know, bishops make statements, um, but we don't use symbols in nearly as powerfully as we might do. Um, in in another, another part of my life, I work quite a lot with um, uh, people who have suffered abuse in the church, and they hear a lot of times uh, leaders of the church saying, sorry, um, and it doesn't seem to make much impact. But if we saw some bishops tearing their robes or uh, lying prostrate or something like that, um, that would be uh, a powerful symbol that would be uh, meaningful. And ironically, I think sometimes uh, people in the leadership of the church realise that symbols are so powerful that they don't want to go there. And uh, that's a shame, really. You know, we're missing something that I think is potentially very powerful. You write in the book that I wonder if the sum total of my words has actually shrunk people's image of God. Sometimes I think the most effective thing that the church could do to evangelise the nation is to shut up. Yes, I do. I do. I do think that. Um, I mean, I can only speak for my own church, which I love to bits. Um, but I do think that if God turned up on a Sunday morning, and I, I, I hope He does, um, the first thing He might say would be, "Shh, listen, quieter, uh, less noise." Yeah, uh, there's there's a there's an awful lot of words about. Gosh, Ed, I, I can hardly believe I'm saying that to a journalist. Um, but um, in the end, it's not words that change the world, is it? You also talk about um, everyday activists putting up signposts, and you say a signpost is an acted parable. Could, could you explain mm. what you sort of mean by that? Yeah, um, there are lots of things that we can't change. They're just too big, too difficult um, to change, um, or certainly to change in one lifetime. But what we can do is um, uh, small symbolic acts that point the way to the change that needs to come. Um, food banks would be an example of that. Churches have been amazing in um, developing and getting behind food banks. Um, we can't fix, as a church, we can't fix the inequality in our society, which is represented by some people going hungry. But what we can do is um, set up and organise a food bank and make it happen. Um, and that's a pointer to what we believe about the world. It doesn't achieve everything, but it, it points the way. I mean, we've, in our front garden for the last three months, we've had a, a, a blue plastic unibox sat at the front end of the drive and people in our area know that um, if they put food in that box it'll end up getting taken to a food bank so most days when I go out to my front drive there's a plastic box full of food which we then transfer to the local food bank people who put a tin of beans or a bag of rice into the plastic box are saying are signing 
we care for other people. Um, it's a it's a statement from those people in our neighbourhood, and even people who walk past and don't put anything in because they can't or um, it's not convenient or whatever, they see that sign and they identify with it and say, yeah, there are people in our neighbourhood who feel that feeding the hungry matters. Um, it's a signpost. It doesn't change everything, but it points in the right direction. Talking of your neighbourhood, you, you speak in the book about how you've made a conscious decision often to live among people who are not like you and to escape your echo chamber. I mean, is, is that quite a key part of everyday activism, putting yourself in places that you wouldn't be comfortable? Well, it has been um, for our family over the years at, at, at different stages, at most stages of, of our being together. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do think that there are uh, a few, amongst Christians, there are a few very specially called unusual people uh, who God calls and puts on their heart to live in middle-class areas in the suburbs. Um, but obviously most of us are called to uh, live among the poor. That's where where God calls us to be. There are lots of different ways of, of doing that. There are lots of ways of living um, among the poor. Um, but if we don't do that, we're missing out on on some of what some of the gifts that God wants to give to us. And you know, most of what I've been taught in my Christian life has been taught to me by people who had far less than I do by way of resources. Um, but if you don't, if you're not prepared to give up some things, uh, you you don't get to discover that or learn that. I was also struck by what you wrote about um, time and you talk about the glorious business of wasting time and in a, in a world that's driven by achievement, status and productivity, wasting time can be an act of rebellion. Is that an act of rebellion perhaps against the sort of capitalist system that wants us to work more and consume more? Well, yeah, whether it's the capitalist system or whatever, we're all in such a rush. People, people often say to me, oh, you must be very busy and they mean it as a kind of a compliment. And I want to say, well, busy is quite overrated, actually. Um, uh, compared to available, um, available is a great gift to have. That's not to say that being busy is is necessarily wrong, as long as you're doing the things that you genuinely believe that you're that you're called to. But um, I think I think we're called to walk through life rather than to run through it. And it's only walking that you notice what's going on around you, um, where the glory is and where the needs are, uh, which is often the same thing. So I'm a big fan of walking and of long baths and of space in the diary and, yeah, breathing in order that we can spot the moments where God is saying, oh, I meant you to go left there, not right. And just briefly, talk about picking a side, as it were, as an everyday activist. Um, you said it's not a matter of striking a, a balance. Could you could you say a bit about that? I mean, people often talk about for finding a middle way between two points of view, but your argument seems to be that you actually need to choose what is the just and right cause and what is not. Yes, I feel quite 
quite strongly about that. Um, I mean, I have to say, the context of this is I am hopelessly compromised in my life. Of, of, of course I am. And we, 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 most of us are hopelessly compromised. But where there are choices, and we have many more choices than we like to let ourselves believe, where there are choices, I think it is right for us to to pick sides. So, for instance, I was saying earlier that I um, walk quite a lot with people who have suffered abuse in the church. I am unconditionally, unquestioningly on the side of the abused over the abuser. Of course I am. Pick sides. Don't compromise on things like that. Yeah, pick pick a team. It seems to me that being on the side of the disadvantaged or the powerless is what we have to try to do in all contexts where there's power or advantage or, or, or disadvantage. Christianity is certainly not about protecting ourselves. It's about being reckless about ourselves in order to be on the side of the powerless or the or the underdog and and i say that knowing my own privilege and my own compromise in so many ways but if you point out some compromise or some privilege i shall try to deal with it not by moderating it but i shall try to deal with it by being on the side of the poor I have a slight fear that this conversation has sounded terribly terribly serious and actually the book is quite funny um one of the lovely things that's come out of this is that um, in the age of uh, Zoom and Skype and all those things, a lot of people have um, have invited me to come to their church or their house group or whatever virtually to do an hour's um, readings from the book, storytelling from, from the book. And we've had some lovely evenings together with people listening to stories um, informally and then sometimes sharing some of their own as well. So if anybody would like... Um, an evening of stories from Faith, Hope and Mischief. They're very welcome to get in touch with me by email or Twitter or however, Facebook, and uh, I'll, I'll drop round virtually and do a, an evening storytelling. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode.